Good morning and happy Sabbath, like you guys heard earlier in that introduction. I'm Nick Bishop, and the reason I'm here in front of you guys today is because a couple of months ago, I worked for the missions department, and we had set forth the idea that we wanted to have a mission Sabbath at all the fellowships um, here at Andrews University. So it was my job to go talk to each lead pastor, and so that led me to the office of Pastor Dwight Nelson. And there I am, and I'm talking to him, and we're going through the details of the program. And we get to the point where I'm like, okay, um, Pastor Dwight, what do you want to talk about? Or who do you want to speak? And he looks at me, and he says, I want you to speak. And I looked at him, and I said, you're crazy. (laughs) So if you don't like what I'm about to say, don't blame me, blame him. (laughs) So let's get into it. As we heard earlier um, in Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, our scripture for today. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. I think this verse is is really evident, not only in my life, but I think in the life of the woman at the well in John 4. And today we're going to look at those two things in parallel, my life and the woman at the well. So to begin, we'll start with mine. So I grew up Um, I was born and raised um, for part of my life in southern Texas, right on the border of Mexico. And um, then I moved to northern Texas. And I didn't have the easiest upbringing. I had um, a difficult um, father figure. who was an uh, abusive alcoholic. And so that led to a couple of things, whether it was an occasional CPS or police visit. But that was okay, because I had an absolute superhero of a mom. And I think for me, that's the biggest blessing that God has blessed me with. But... I think if you asked her, it would say the biggest curse that God has cursed her with, but I'm just kidding. (laughs) So as we go, as I started going through through my life, through my high school career, it was made very evident to me as I looked up to my brothers, and my mom said all the time, if you ever want something in life, not only do you have to work for it, but you have to sweat for it. And I saw my brothers do the same thing, and I knew I had to do the same thing. So going through high school, I was working hard, whether that was working at at um, fast food restaurants, as cooks, as cashiers, whether it was working construction, um, laying concrete, um, or my favorite job, which was working at um, a car shop. Um, There I was first, I was just there to clean, and then I got promoted a little bit, and I was able to work on cars and be like a a shop boy, a mechanic assistant, Um, and that was a lot of fun. But on the other end of things, um, from the school side of things, around this time, this was around September, I heard that we had the opportunity Um, our school, and those that wanted to could go to Peru for a mission trip. And man, I really wanted to go, so I went back home. um, Because everyone, in going through high school, you always hear how much fun the mission trip is. So I went back home, I told my mom, I was like, I really want to go on this mission trip, it sounds like a lot of fun. She was like, sure, go talk to the director and see what they say. So I went and I talked to the director, and he said, I'm sorry, you're too late. It was like two weeks after the announcement, I'm sorry, you're too late, Um, all the spots are filled up. So life went on, I studied, I went to work, I did my thing. And then this is fast forward to March 2020, right before the pandemic, um, my mom gets a call. And I just see her, and I don't really pay attention to it, I hear her on the phone in, in the kitchen, and she's, she's there, she's talking, and then she calls me. But she calls me by my first and middle name, so she says, Nicola, Dimitri, veni acá, come here. And then I, never in my life had that, had, and never in my life have I heard my mom call me by my first and middle name and talk to me in Spanish, and it end well. And especially, <laughs> and especially has it ever ended well with the school called. 
And so I'm there, I hear the school called, and I'm like, oh no, what did she find out? Not what did I did, what did I do? Because I knew I did something. I was like, what did she find out? So she comes and she says, the school called, and they said there's an extra spot for the mission trip if you want to go. So I was like, oh, that's awesome. But then she said, it's $2,000. So I was like, I know. You know, my mom and I and then my siblings, we always grew up hearing the phrase um, that we were living on a budget. Or we always heard the phrase, not this month or not till the first. And that applied for like school things or soccer cleats. You know, you got to wait till next month or you got to wait till the next month. And so I knew $2,000, no way. But my mom said, I'll let you do this. You can use my phone and you can call anyone on my contact list to try and fundraise money. So in 48 hours, I called my aunts, my uncles, my grandparents. I called my mom's old roommates. I called everyone. And we got the money. $2,000. God multiplied the money in 48 hours when I needed it in four days. So then four days later, I was on a plane and I landed in Lima, Peru. And there I was. And my job continued working construction. Was what, that's what I wanted to do. They asked me. And I was like, oh, I'll go work construction. We were building a church. I liked it. This is what I was good at. This is what I was used to. Um, we were work- I was there with the local guys. I was able to like, help lead out a little bit because I knew what I was doing, and it was fun. We were making fun of the gringos that didn't know how to work or that didn't speak Spanish, <laughs> and, and we're there, and we're, and we're laying our bricks, and then we're just having a good time. We're making jokes, and it's, it's awesome. And then the next day, the director comes up to me, and he says, oh, I know like everyone else had a job, and because you just got put on, you need to come help us in the clinic. And so... I was like, okay, I went to the clinic. I need to be a translator for um, this American surgeon. Um, his name was Dr. Josh Long. And when I went into this room, I remember I had to climb up these stairs. We were in like this, in the school slash church. I climbed up the stairs. I walked down this hallway, and there I see him. And as I reflect on my life, I am, I am certain that this was like my guardian angel or my angel or some, something, because this man showed me so much of Jesus that I had never seen before, and I really needed it in this time. So there I'm, I'm with him. And I just start, and we start going through it. We, the patients come through, um, patients that have never seen like, doctors in their lives, or it's been years since they've ever been able to have access to medicine. And here we are giving them, allowing to cure them for free. And I like, fell, in love with, I fell in love with this idea that we're there, we're helping these people that have never had access to medicine. And then I'm also able to help him, because I had to translate, but then also help him out with surgery. So then I felt, fall in love with the human body. I was like, wow, this is crazy. I'd never seen this before. And the best way to describe this feeling that I'm starting to get is like my professor, Dr. Bailey, says, um, you have to find the fire in your belly. So it's this idea that you have to find what puts wind in your sails or that gets you going. And we use this to, for like research and stuff in, in psychology. You've got to study something that, may, that, that you love. But I found this in my life. I feel this feeling coming up, and I hated it because I'd never felt it before. I thought it was weird. But, you know, I kept going. I had a lot of fun. And this was a, like a type of fun I'd never experienced before. So I'm going through the days, it's, it's Tuesday, it's Wednesday, it's Thursday, the same thing, amazing um, miracles that we're seeing, and then we get to Friday, and I remember um, the, door, the, clinic, uh, the doors of the clinic opened up at 8 a.m., we were there, I was there at 7.45, and I remember climbing up, there was like, it was the second floor, and then I could climb up some cement, and it was like to get on top of the roof, and I wanted to see all the village, and I wanted to see all the people in line. And there was like 250, 250 people in line before it even started. And I'm there, and I, as I close my eyes, I can see it perfectly. Like I hear so many types of sounds. Like I remember at the end hearing like screams, like pain and agony, and then I hear laughter, and then I hear crying, and I hear these conversations, I hear everything going on. 
And then those faces become more familiar. They start coming through the clinic. Uh, <clears throat> we start working through them. And then, um, and then the last patient, Dr. Long, told me, he said, I want you to handle this one. I want to see if you've, if you've learned anything. So I'm there, and he's right next to me. I'm translating a little bit just to show him what's going on. I, I did it at the very end. I was like, yeah, this is what's going on. And he's like, okay. And I was like, I think we should give him this, this, dosage, this dosage of medicine and this medication. And he was like, whoa, 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 slow down. We don't want to kill them. And so, <laughs> I was like, I don't know. I'm not the doctor. But anyways, um, so we get, and we get, I had this experience. And at the end of this, he looks at me and he says, Nick, I think you'd be a great doctor. I think God is calling you to be a doctor. And I looked at him and I was like, the same thing I looked at, at, at Pastor Dwight when he asked me to speak. I said, you're crazy. Because <laughs> I had this idea that because of where I came from, because of where, where I, what I grew up in and all this and the job that I thought, I thought mechanic was the best thing I could, I could accomplish in this life. And then I have someone saying I could become a doctor. I couldn't believe it. I didn't think someone like me could become a doctor. But then he's there and he says, no, I swear, I swear I think God is calling you to be a doctor. And then, so I reflect on this and I, I go almost where I was earlier when I saw the, um, the, the village, all of them lined up for the, to come to the clinic. I was almost in that area, but this part where it's like this cliff and you can see all of like this mountain, this like dirt, um, desert mountain of Peru. And I'm there and I'm talking to God kind of for the first time because I knew God, but we were more like acquaintances, kind of said, hi, what's up? I respected him, but I never had a close relationship with him. So there I am and I tell him, can you believe this guy? He said I could be a good doctor. What is he talking about? And I said, you know, I feel maybe there's some truth to this. If you think it's true, this is what you want me to do with my life. I need a sign. So not a minute or like 30 seconds later, I'm walking over. I finished to the other side. I was trying to go back and, and see what everyone was doing. And this little kid comes running up and he jumps on top of me and, and he gives me a hug. You'll see a picture of him in a little bit. Um, there he is. And he's got this little crown on his head. And his mom was one of the patients. And she had just told, she just told her son, go, go hug the doctor. <clears throat> and so, and then she comes up to me and she's like, muchísimas gracias, doctor. She's telling me, thank you so much, doctor. And I'm like, no, 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 I'll tell the doctor thank you. And she's like, no, no, usted. Like telling me that I'm the doctor. And I was like, no, I'll tell him. And she's like, no, 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 thank you so much. And I was like, oh, that's weird. But whatever. So... Later, that day went on. I went to my room where we, um, where we were sleeping at the Adventist University in Peru there. And um, the, night, the night's going, going on, and, I, and I'm, I'm beginning to reflect. And I start to think, so I guess I'll just go on with trying to become a mechanic because it's clear to me that God <clears throat> didn't want me to become a doctor. He didn't give me the sign I wanted to, I wanted to see, or he didn't give me a sign. And then... I felt this feeling that I had felt before because this is how God works with me. He does the same thing that my mom does. If I'm out of line, he takes off the chancla and he throws it at me. <laughs> so I feel God does the same. If I'm out of line, I feel God gives me a kick or he hits me with the, the, you know, the top of the knuckle and the back of the head. It gives you the little egg. But <laughs> that's how I felt. I feel like God's like that with me because he knows I need that. I don't need it a little soft push. I need to get pushed sometimes. And so I'm there and I feel this like, what are you talking about? What do you mean I didn't give you a sign? And I look back on that picture of the kid and I see his golden crown <clears throat> and it was evident. To me, I was like, okay, I see it. Not only was his name Mateo, which means Matthew, and it's from the Bible, but also he had this golden crown and I know that God promised me that one day, like all of us would have a golden crown. 
And maybe his crown on earth was a crown of thorns, but I knew that this crown was a symbol of Jesus to me. So then with that information and that pivot in my life, it took me to the pearly gates of Andrews University. (laughs) And there you'll see a picture of me in front of the famous globe. And so that's where my life started new, where I thought, okay, I'm going to become a doctor. I'm going to go study at Andrews University. And then I went on to do some other things, but we're going to take a pause from my story and we're going to look at John 4 that talks about the woman at the well. So turn with me. <clears throat> so if you're not familiar with John, with John 4, there's this woman at the well, and I'll go through a quick, a quick little paraphrase, so forgive me if it's not the best. But So the beginning of John 4. Um, right before this in John 3, um, the disciples and Jesus had been baptizing a ton of people all through these cities They're on this little like baptism tour. And in John 4, um, as we see through the verses, they go to this city in Samaria called Sakar. And we see Jesus do this move that he does a lot in the Bible. When he gets tired or when things are getting like, <clears throat> like when he, was in the, when he was in the boat right before the storm, right before he walked on water, he went back and he said, I'm going to take a nap. Um, and he does the same thing here. He's tired. The disciples go to eat. He says, no, I'm going to take a step back. I'm going to go to this well. I'm going to rest there for a second. And there he is resting there at the well. And then the Samaritan woman comes up. <clears throat> she says, and he says, Jesus says to the Samaritan woman, will you give me a drink? The Samaritan woman said, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? And like I earned earlier this week from um, Pastor Prescott, he had told me that the reason this was said was because Samaritans and, and Jews were not on the same um, in society. The Jews were much, quote, better than them. And that's what made the Good Samaritan, that story, so surprising because nobody ever expected um, for a Samaritan to be good. And so the Samaritan woman is super confused of why is Jesus asking her for a drink? Why is Jesus, this Jew, interacting with her? And at this part is the first point where I really relate to the Samaritan woman. Just like when that doctor said, I think you'd be a great, I, he thought I'd be a great doctor. Just like he said, I think God is calling you. I felt the same way. Like, there's no way I, someone like me, can be interacting with someone like Jesus on that level. And so we go on and it says... <clears throat> And so she asked him, no, I can't. How could I give you a drink? And Jesus says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And then the woman starts to question him. What are you talking about? Do you think you're greater than our father Jacob? Um, What can you even draw um, with this? You don't even have any tools to draw from the well. Uh, What are you doing? What are you talking about? And Jesus says, everyone who drinks this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks this water I give them will never thirst. And there it is. The woman's convinced. Wow, sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw from this water. She's convinced, but God wants to make sure, Jesus wants to make sure she's convinced. So he says, go call your husband. She's like, I have no husband. Jesus said, you're right. You've had, you have no husband. The fact is you've had fives and the one you're with now isn't even your husband. So he calls her out, tells her you're sleeping around. I don't know what you're doing. And then she says, wow, what you've said is quite true. I can tell you're a prophet. And then they go into this conversation about worship and how Jesus says, don't worry, you will not worship on this mountain or in Jerusalem. And basically this idea that wherever you worship isn't confined to one building. And then he talks about true worshipers worshiping in the spirit. And then the woman at the end of this conversation is like, oh, I know what you're talking about. It sounds like something a Messiah would tell me. Or the Messiah that I've heard about, he'll be able to explain more of this, don't worry. And Jesus says, I, the one speaking to you, am he, in reference to the Messiah. 
And just then, um, the disciples return, and they see this really weird situation, because they, they see Jesus, and I'm sure people knew that this woman was kind of this woman of the streets, as people say, she's hopping from men to men, and, he's, and they see Jesus alone with her at the well. So it looks a little weird on Jesus' part, but they also know that Jesus tends to do things weird sometimes. And then it says, but nobody asked, what are you doing? What are you, why are you talking to her? And then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. And I think this water jar is really, really powerful. Even though it just sounds like it's a water jar, we skip by it. In my opinion, I think that this water jar symbolizes something back to Isaiah 55, 8, like we read before. <clears throat> I think the water jar represents her plans, her thoughts. And it shows us that when you meet Jesus, when you come into counter, when you believe what he has and when you accept his plans and his thoughts, you leave yours behind, just like she left that water, that water, jar, that water jar behind. And that's what we see here. And then she says, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And the whole town came and made their way towards Jesus. So now I want to come back to my story and how I went out into the world and told everyone about a man named Jesus. So I come back to Andrews University, or I come to Andrews University, and I hear this opportunity to become a student missionary. I had heard Dr. Long, the, the doctor from Peru, talk about it, that he did it, and I was like, okay, I got to do it. And I talked with Tila, and she's like, okay, yeah, this is where you, you can go. It's awesome. You should do it. And so I went back to Meyer Hall, and I convinced four of my friends, all five of us, that we had to become student missionaries. And they looked at me the same way Pastor Dwight looked at me the other, week, the other a couple months ago. Or I looked at Pastor Dwight a couple months ago, and, he, and they said, you're crazy. But I convinced them, and we're all ready to go and become student missionaries. So we went through the training, we went through the processes, and then um, in August of 2021, we were ready to become student missionaries. One of them had decided he wanted to go to Palau. The four of us were all going to go to the Marshall Islands. One of them had just left, and it was the three of, our, um, the three of us, it was our turn to go. And then we get a call at three in the morning, because it was like one o'clock over there, that because of COVID, because there was not enough money for the flights, the country was closing, all this, that we couldn't go. And so there we were, back at Andrews University, and I was so confused. Because instead of waking up in the beach of the Marshall Islands with the palm trees, I woke up in organic chemistry at 8.30. I know. And then, so, you know, I kept going on through the semester, and I was just really confused. It's probably why I did so bad. But it was just, I was confused of why God brought me here when I wanted to do what I thought he would want me to do, I, went, I said, I'll give a year of my life to go serve you. And he said, no. And I was just confused. I was like, what, what is going on? But then I saw a flyer, an ad to go to Honduras. And at this time, I didn't really think anything of it. Kind of just was, I didn't think I'd go. I was like, oh, it's an opportunity. And then I remember I went to Chap Jose's office and I was there talking to him. And I don't know, and I asked him, I was like, oh, do you think I should go? He's like, oh, yeah, 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 just go. And I think he wanted me to get out of his office. I'm not sure. But he said, just go. And he had told me that sometimes in the Christian life, you just have to walk through doors and expect them to either open or close. And I saw that with Peru. The door at first closed, but then it opened. And then I saw that with student missions that go for a year. The doors were opening, it was opening, and then it closed. But then this other one, to go to Honduras, the doors are opening, the doors are open, and the doors open. And in Christmas of 2021, um, I was in Honduras. 
And it was just two weeks, and I was still confused. I'm going through there. It's a lot of fun because we're doing like this, this camp for all the kids <clears throat> where they were passing out clothes and food for these neighborhoods. Um, and I had a really good connection with the kids. Um, and I decided through there, I decided to have this conversation with God just like I did in Peru. And I thought, God, why did you bring me here? Because there's no way that this is what you had planned instead of the, two, of, of the one year. You have me for, here for two weeks. And I'm there and I'm having this conversation in the middle. It's like the middle of this, this children's home. Um, there's like 45 kids there. There's this huge tree in the middle. And I'm there and I'm saying this. And then I hear these little girls like come running towards me. Nico, Nico, Nico. They wanted to play. And I knew. I was like, okay. And God had made it clear. Like, they're why. They're why he took me away to do a year, and he needed me there for just two weeks. <clears throat> but then I enjoyed it so much that I decided right after finals week, I was going to spend three months, my whole summer vacation there. And that's where this picture comes from, um, this past summer. And there I was for three months. And it was awesome, and I have tons of stories, but I'm just going to tell you guys one. So there, as you saw in some of the pictures, my job, I couldn't tell you one thing I did. I, I, I cooked, I cleaned. I did a lot of maintenance. I welded. I had to teach the, the guys. Um, that was the one with all of us in the workshop. I had to teach them how to work. Um, I taught English, Spanish, reading, music, <clears throat> Bible. And um, it was a lot of fun. And one day, I'm reading. <clears throat> I have the job because a lot of these kids, they come from really tough situations, and they don't always get access um, to education. So there was one, there was an 11-year-old, and she's there. And she didn't know how to read. So part of my job was to focus in on her and make sure she should get, that she could get caught up, she could learn how to read, and she could get going. Um, and so one day, I wake up. This was the longest day of my life. I woke up at 4.30 in the morning because part of my job started at that time to go give like optional prayer um, with the kids that wanted to. And then the part that wasn't optional was at 5 o'clock where I had to go and exercise with the guys. So, you know, I went over, it was like a minute walk. I walked outside the gate of, this, of the, the children's home and I went to the other facility where the guys were and there we are working out in the morning, doing push-ups, sit-ups, running our laps. And, <clears throat> and then I come back, I finish and we're walking in and someone tells me, hey, can you go look for, let's say her name is Jane. We can't find her. Can you look for her when you go, um, you know, you get ready and, and before you come up, just see if she's around. So I was like, okay. I didn't really think anything of it. Um, so I went, I didn't see her, and I came back, I was like, oh, I didn't see her. But then Jane's best friend, who we could call her uh, Mary, um, came. This was when I was helping her learn how to read. Her name was Mary. She came up to me because she didn't know, she didn't really trust the other volunteers, and she said, Nick, Nick, um, Jane, Jane left this morning. She, she escaped. And I was like, oh, what are you talking about? And she was like, well, this morning, um, when you left to go work out with the guys, um, she, she tried to convince me to leave with, to leave with her because she found out that um, the day before she had found out that her dad, who had ab- been abusing her her whole life, had moved back in with her mom. And so this 12-year-old girl thought she needed to go protect her mom. So she escaped from the children's home and she went to find her mom. And so um, <laughs> Mary told me this and I was, and she's giving me all the information. She was like, and then she was wearing this, and this is where she lives, and she's over there, and she's telling me all this. So I'm like, okay, let's go. So I go full CSI Honduras on them, and I hop in the truck, and I'm going through these, these, these villages. I'm going through town, or, you know, the village to village, and I'm asking where it is, and I find where she used to be, or where she used to live. I found the house that Jane used to live in. Her, her tia was living there. Her aunt was living there now. 
And I'm talking to her, and he's like, I need to make sure Jane is safe. Where is she? And she's like, oh, I don't know. I haven't seen her. And I knew she was lying, but she was like, oh, they moved up there. So I went up the village, and I kept asking, and I found the house that they were living in. And I found right in front of the house, so there was this pulperia, which is like, um, it's like a corner store. And it's right there, and I'm there, and I'm talking to them. And I find the last person um, that saw Jane and her family. And she was like, I saw her about an hour ago, but they just left. They left about 30 minutes ago or something like that. So I just missed them. So I went back to the children's home, and, and I saw Mary, and, she, and I told her, and we, found, we couldn't find her, and that, and that she had left. And Mary comes up to me, and me and Mary, because we'd, like, we'd been working all this time together, and we'd gotten really close, and I thought of her as like a little sister, and she comes up to me and she says, would you look for me like you looked for Jane? And I told her, I said, I looked it in her eyes, and we were both there at the end of this, we were crying, and I told her that I wouldn't rest until I found her, that there isn't a mountain I wouldn't climb up to find her. And there in that moment, I was able to give her that, that, that picture of that song, Reckless Love, and where that verse comes from. And I was there to teach her about the lost sheep and how Jesus is always chasing after you. And because <clears throat> she didn't really know how to read yet either. And so I told her, I said, actually, it's scientifically proven that if you read your Bible, you'll learn how to read faster. I just made it up, but it worked. <laughs> and she said, <laughs> and she said, okay, Nico, when you come back, I'm going to read to you and you'll see that I've gotten better. And I told her, okay, read, read one verse every day. And then when I come back, I know you'll be better. And I went back. I've gone back four times um, already. And I went back the la- the, that time after um, and she had told me, when you come back, and there I am, and I'm sitting, and we're sitting down on the, on the little bench, and there she is reading to me with, and I was shocked. I was astonished about how, how well she could read. So that's how I began to show the world of a guy named Jesus that told me everything I ever did. You know, it started in, it started in Peru, and then it went to Honduras, and I keep going back every time I, I can. My, my story's not over. Um, I'm going back in March with some of my friends, and, and we're going to try and do some projects there. Because to me, I'm committed to telling the world about a man named Jesus that told me everything I ever did. So as I close, I want to tell you guys, just like we see um, the Samaritan woman by the well, we see that her life wasn't ideal. You know, right at the end in verse 17, when, when Jesus calls her out for for not having one, but having five husbands in the past and sleeping around, we see it. We see it so clear that Jesus says um, that this woman is, is someone that is super broken. And, but the truth is, I, say, I think it's safe to assume that this, that this woman probably also had a lot of trauma growing up because usually people don't, it's, those situations aren't normal. And I think it's beautiful how God still decided to use her. And she didn't really choose where she came from. She didn't at all. Just like I didn't choose where I came from, just like the kids in Honduras didn't choose where they came from. But I think all of us have made a new choice today and every day for the rest of our lives that although we didn't choose where we come from, we choose where we're going, and we're going with Jesus. And so now the Connect card will come up as we're closing today. And you have three options. You can text go serve. Um, at 269-281-2345. And your first option is to talk about somebody, talk to somebody about the idea of escaping the noise. And if it wasn't made clear, 
We saw Jesus do this in the Bible. We saw him escape the noise from the disciples that wanted to go eat. We saw him escape the noise. We saw Jesus take my life from all the, all the things I had going on growing up and in high school. He, saw, he took me away from the noise. He allowed me to escape the noise. And just like Pastor Dwight had told me a, a couple weeks ago, he said, the reason people come back from missions so changed is because when you escape the noise of the world, it makes it so much easier for God to speak to you. And so that is what that option is for, to have an opportunity to escape the noise, whether that's go on a mission trip, whether that's go on a spiritual retreat, or just talk to one of the pastors about how you can escape the noise. And then the other option is for our students here, our Andrews University student, students, if you decide um, that you were touched by this, by my testimony, go serve, don't wait. Don't wait for this, the sign to come at your door. Start walking through doors. Let them open or let them close, but I think they'll open. So that's what that, seconds op- that second option is for you, to become a student missionary. And the third option is if you want to support with money or however you see fit um, to make sure that people are allowed to escape the noise and become student missionaries. Each one of those are just as important. And so I challenge you guys today, because I know I'm not the only one that didn't choose where they came from. I want us all today to choose to go with Jesus.